And so we'll try and keep the volume up that you may be able to hear. It's strange how in the summertime, we're looking forward to the summertime, on the springtime even when the children were able to play on the grass. Willie had the lovely flowers all blooming outside. The sun was shining. It was lovely to be in the tent. And we had great summer evenings late into the evening where we'd be able to have fellowship and tea and all that sort of stuff out there. Uh, and we look forward to having that God willing again uh, within the next lot of weeks, we hope, when this goes away. Don't worry about the tent. We believe that the Lord has his hand on it. And there are, let me just reassure you, if you're here for the first time, that there's 26 ton of stone holding the tent down as well. So unless the roof rips or something, it'll hold down old okay, it's bolted to the concrete as well. So it sounds worse than what it really is. I'm just trying to settle maybe a few hearts in case you're a bit concerned. And listen, if the roof blows off it, sure, well, we'll just have to put our coats on the next time we meet together in the field. Lord bless you. Just speaking while we're getting settled. Isaiah 6, please, verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims, each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face, with twain he covered his feet, with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, the whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone. Because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar. And he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this hath touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin purged. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? Then said I, here am I, send me. Let us pray. Father, we thank you that on such a stormy, windy, rainy day, you've brought so many out to sit in a marquee tent, Lord, to remember your son, to worship him, and to sit under the sound of thy word. So, Father, we thank you, Lord. We pray that you'd bless each and every home and head and heart which is represented. We pray for the children and the leaders down there in the polytunnel who will learn in children's church and for those younger babies in the creche with those who are looking after them, Lord. In the porta cabin, we pray for each and every one of them, Lord. Your hand would be with them and upon them. And Father, we just thank you for those, Lord, who are here to, Lord, to share of the blessing of the Lord who have made their effort in such a day to come here. And now, Lord, we pray Lord, that you would help us to focus on thy word and to settle in thy presence, that your son might be glorified in, our, in the midst of us, in our church life, in our home life, and in our walk with thee. Help us all, Lord, to Lord, be ready to serve, should you call. Lord, and when thy voice is clear to our hearts, we pray that we would say, here am I, send me. So glorify your son. Remember those who are sick and unable to be with us this evening, who are at home, 
We pray, O God, you'd give them their portion of the blessing. And Lord, that they might know your blessing that maketh rich, for you add no sorrow with it. Heal them and bless them, we pray. Thank you for Trevor McConnell coming home, Lord, and Lord, being able to be back with his family. We pray, Lord, you would strengthen him every day. And Lord, O God, we pray that your hand would be upon him. To that end, Father, we pray that you would bless the Proctor family and and we pray for Jeff's sister and her family, Lord, that you would comfort them at this time at the loss of their loved one. And Lord, that thy blessing would be known and thy comfort would be felt. For we ask it in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. Amen. At the sight of the Lord Jesus Christ on the throne of glory, at the sight by Isaiah of Christ sitting on his throne, at the sight of the King of Kings with the seraphim and the cherubim and all that would be around him, each having six wings, these seraphim creatures. It says, with twain he covered his face. Even the seraphim in the glory of Christ, even the seraphim in the presence of the Lord covers his face because even a holy angel knows that there's none holy but the Lord himself. With twain he covered his face, with twain he covered his feet, representing as though he covers that where our feet would take us to walk. In other words, covering the feet represents that where our feet would be dirty, where our lifestyle has taken us. The angel covers his feet in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ in glory. And with twain, or with two, he did fly. And hence they are flying, covering face and feet, and there they are crying, not only flying, they are crying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Here's something I want to put out there just for your remembrance, just to give you the knowledge of this, that the Christ on the throne in Isaiah chapter 6 is then seen by Isaiah in chapter 53. He is the Christ on the cross. The Christ in glory being worshipped by the seraphim. The Christ in glory being healed as holy by the seraphim is the same Christ who is seen on the cross in Isaiah 53. Yet he is in disdain and he is despised by all of those who are around him, save his mother and a few followers. The Christ of God in Isaiah 6 is the Son of God in Isaiah chapter 53. Will you turn for a second with me to the chapter, please? Isaiah chapter 53. Remember our subject these last few weeks is, so what's your excuse then? Part two was, so what's your excuse now? Part three was, what's your excuse again? Remember part one, so what's your excuse then? So what's your excuse now is part two. 
So what's your excuse again is part three. And this morning is simply, so what is your excuse? Notice in Isaiah 53, if you will. By the way, Isaiah is known as the fifth evangelist. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Isaiah. Because he shows the cross work as though he's standing beneath the cross and taking it down as he sees it. Isaiah 53, among many other scriptures, speaking of the present Christ and also the Christ that would be to come in Isaiah's day, the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Remember, this is written approximately 700 to 750 years before the cross. And this is what it says. Who hath believed our report, and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? Now listen, the report is that which the prophets have brought to Israel. The arm of the Lord revealed was in the power of God in Israel. Now in prophecy, the arm of the Lord is the Christ, the Son of God. Notice like two arms, it would be the Holy Spirit, the Father, and the the Son of God, the arm of the Lord revealed in glorious redemption and salvation and the coming of Christ, the Son of God. Verse 2, he, talking about his humanity now, for he shall grow up before him, that is before his Father, our Father, God the Father, as a tender plant, as a root out of a dry ground, the religion of the day, the Phariseeism, the rabbinical teachings, the Talmudism, all against the grace of, of the Scriptures, and all against the Christ of God. It was a dry ground. Notice, he hath no form nor comeliness. And when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. Here, even from the coming of Christ, the cross of Christ, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, the ascension of Christ, and the glorification of the Lord Jesus Christ, right to this present hour, moment, and day, on a stormy morning like it is today, There's not one of us looked at him before our conversion to Christ and thought he was beautiful. There's not one of us looked at him of our own will because we were dead in our sins and in our trespasses and not one of us before the coming of the Spirit into our lives to regenerate, to quicken us. Not one of us thought him comely. Not one of us desired him. Not one of us wanted to know him We were away from him like sheep gone astray, as Isaiah says in verse 6 of chapter 53. Notice verse 3. He is despised and rejected of men, still happening today, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not Now, the word despised, if you're taking notes, underline it twice in the verse. It's the word bazaar, B-A-W-Z-A-W, bazaar. And it simply means this. It means to raise a lofty head. To raise a lofty head. In other words, to raise the head, to stick out the chin, to look down the nose. 
That's what it means. To raise a lofty head as though to stick out the chin, to look down the nose. He was despised and rejected of men. They raised the head, looked down their nose at him. They were lofty in their thinking, in their religion, and they raised a lofty head. They stuck out the chin. They looked down their nose at Christ. You can imagine that, as it were, the Jewish nose, looking down the nose at him. And many are doing it today, even in this very moment. You and I maybe were one of those people. We looked down our nose at the gospel, looked down our nose at the cross of Christ, looked down our nose at the blood of Jesus, looked down our nose at his great sacrifice. So we lift our heads. Loftiness is pride. Man's pride is I can do this myself. Man's pride is uh, that I can work my way, pay my way, do my way, play my way. Man's pride is I lift up my head, as it were, stick out my chin, for I am man. I'm not that bad. I am woman. I'm not that bad. I'm not a bad man. I'm not a bad person. And so they lift up a lofty head, full of pride, stick out the chin and look down the nose at the cross work the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. I trust there's no one in here this morning. I trust there's no one in here this morning who is off a lofty countenance of a head lifted, a chin extended, looking down the nose at the Christ of God. Thinking I'm all right myself and I can do it on my own steam. On my own merit, in my own ways. For the pride of man is this that he feels he's good enough to do enough. So it's enough. And I trust there's none here who look down their nose at what Christ has done by the shedding of his own precious blood, by the giving of his life freely, by the going to the tomb and rising again the third day. I trust there's none who despise him. That's the idea of this word, despised. He is despised and rejected of men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. So I trust there's none this morning who think, I can do it by my religion. Religion is a curse and a blight on the nation. For it brings many men and women to hell. They think they're fine. Trusting in an institution, a denomination, and a religion to save themselves. And so they are lost for all eternity. To look down your nose at Christ is to reject the blood of Christ. To look down your nose at Christ is to reject the cross work of our Lord Jesus Christ. To look down your nose at Christ who despise him and to reject him is a man and a woman saying, I don't need him, don't believe in him, and I can do without him. Hence the father wants him as a tender plant, as a root out of a dry ground. Growing up before him, the father watched the son. Not only as a root out of a dry ground and as a tender plant, he watched him every step of his 33 and a half year life as a man on the earth, even going to the cross 
the center gibbet outside Jerusalem's walls. And the father watched him and many despised him. Brothers and sisters, thank God he's not despised in our hearts this morning. Thank God Christ is not despised anymore in our lives. But Christ is loved in our hearts and he is loved in our lives. Take note of this. This word despised, just for a moment. Go with me, if you will, to Psalm 102. Psalm 102. We're just going off course a little bit here this morning, just to do this. Psalm 102, if you will. And let your eye run down. The verse 17. Verse 17, Psalm 102, verse 17. He will regard the prayer of the destitute and not despise their prayer. Now listen, you're, you're maybe feeling destitute, broken, empty, down, beaten, battered, bruised by circumstance and situation. Destitute, even in spirit, Lowly, struggling, weary, tired, destitute, but yet in a prayer, a prayer from you as a child of God, yet in a prayer, God will not despise it. The idea here is God will not look down his nose at you because you're weak, because you're weary. Because you're destitute. Because you're struggling. God will not look down his nose at you. Listen, brothers and sisters, when many of us are finding it tough, when many of us are finding it difficult, and many of us are finding it hard, and we're going through seasons and times and all manner of situations and circumstances in our lives, men and women, brothers and sisters even in Christ, might look at you And see that, but rather instead of running to help you, offering support to you, they despise you. They look down their nose at you as if you're not good enough. They look down their nose at you. But your heavenly father, when you pray the weakest prayer, your heavenly father, when you get on your knees or you just call to him from wherever you may be, maybe even a sick bed, he does not despise. He does not look down his nose. He does not lift up his head, stick out his chin to say, well, I'm too high and holy for you because I alone am holy. He comes in the spirit and the word and he blesses you. He answers your prayer. How many times, brother, have you been in a situation before How many times, sister, have you struggled and you've been dry in the spirit? You've been dry in heart. And there you've cried a mealy-mouthed prayer even. Oh, God, just help me. I don't know what I'm going to do. You know, all along, the father, like he's seen his son, he saw you like a tender plant, as a root out of a dry ground. And you're feeling destitute, as it were. And yet he did not despise your prayer. He did not despise you coming. Rather, he opened his arms to you. He opened his ear to you. He stretched forth his hand to you and he blessed you. How many of us have had that experience? 
How many of us have went through these times? So maybe if you're a man or a woman in here this morning, a brother and sister in the Lord, and you're struggling, you're destitute with whatever it is, or whatever it may be, I want to reassure you this morning, if you call in your Father and get into the place of prayer, it might even be very little and very weak, your Father will not despise it, but rather your Father will bless it. He'll hear it and he will answer prayer. I believe God hears and answers prayer. Who believes that? Who, who believes that? We all believe it. All the believers believe it. He's still a prayer hearing and a prayer answering God. He's a thousand ways and more to answer every prayer. I'm going away off course here. I want to get back in a moment. When you go with me, please, to Romans, please, chapter 2. I want to show you this word despised, only it's in the Greek text. Romans chapter 2, please. And let your eye run down to verse 4. Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness? Take note of this now. Or despisest thou the riches of his God's goodness? And forbearance and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. Now, brothers and sisters, this word here, the good despises thy, <clears throat> pardon me, despises thy the riches of the goodness and forbearance. See the despisest, it's a similar, same sort of a meaning, but it's a Greek word called kataphroneo. Kataphroneo. And it simply means the same thing. Do we look down our nose at the goodness of God? Lift up the head, as it were, you stick out the chin and you look down the nose. You know why someone would say, see your woman there, she looked down her nose at me. See your man. That's what I said in Belfast anyway, where I come from. See your man, he looked down his nose at me. She looked down her nose at me. He looked down his nose at me. Whenever they're looking at you with a disdain. Despising. Thinking nothing did little off you. Some of us were the goodness of God. We nearly insult the Lord by the looking down the nose at his goodness. I said uh, months ago how the Lord dealt with me about a matter and he still at times does, but he really dealt with me about a matter, about a matter, and I think it was the last time there was a storm. And the wind was blowing, and the, the A-frame of the, the tent was creaking as it was, and the, it was flapping about. You can hardly hear as you can hear at the moment. And I said, Lord, I just love somewhere. Oh, give us the bricks and mortar. <laughs> And I was watching people online in their churches preaching, and I coveted. I coveted. And the Lord dealt with me over it. Is my provision not good enough? God's goodness was that He moved on the hearts of families for our church when we needed it. God's goodness was that he enabled us to be here 
And I must admit, I don't know what it's like sitting down there, but it would parboil you up here. It's really warm. God's goodness is that he brought people along. He saved souls in the place. He's touched bodies and healed. He's done all manner of things. Backsliders have been restored. And God's people have had somewhere to gather together to worship him. It's like the tabernacle in the wilderness. Is my provision not enough? Was I despising the goodness of God? Paul is writing here though to those who were sinners, unsaved, unregenerate. God has been good, long-suffering to those unsaved, giving them space to repent. And God will be justified in all he meets out. I want to say it again. God will be justified in all that he meets out. Why? Because men in the deadness of their hearts and the depravity of their nature reject him. They despise him. They stick up the head and out the chin, look down their nose at the cross of Christ. But in his goodness to you and I, let us not despise what God has given. I have to admit, I commend you, but I have to admit, bless you because you're in a tent in all weathers. We've had all sorts of things going, but you have come out faithfully. You have worshipped without fear or favor. You're not sitting in a plush building. But you know what I believe that brings people here do you know what I believe? Because I've sought the Lord about it. I've talked, to, I've talked to Alan about it a few times. We thought maybe this would be like a novelty thing and it would peter out. But a year later, in the goodness of God, with his provision, we're still here. And God his presence, God the Holy Ghost, is here every time we meet. What's the difference between here and maybe if we were somewhere else? Well, all I know is see where we are here. God is with us. The goodness of God, he's blessed us. God has been our, our meat and our provision. So let's not look down our nose. Not that anyone has or is. Please don't get me wrong. But let's not look down our, our nose at the goodness of God. For his presence makes the feast. His anointing destroys the yoke. Brothers and sisters, we see that Paul even says about despising the things of God. And in Isaiah 53, the Christ on the cross is the Christ he sees on the throne in Isaiah 6. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. With his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him. Notice the father was watching his son as a man grew up, as a root out of a dry ground. That tender plant. Now he watches him on the cross. 
He brings Isaiah through the Holy Spirit to him. And he says, now I want to show you the coming of my son, the dying of my son. And so, brothers and sisters, we can see Isaiah had a lot to behold. But Isaiah saw the glory of God in Isaiah chapter 6. Will you turn with me as we look at it, please, for a few moments? Isaiah tried to make excuse. Isaiah tried to make excuse. Isaiah 6, please. And in verse 5, Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Notice, for mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Woe is me. Isaiah is saying, I'm worthless. Isaiah is saying, I am worthless. Is that your excuse, Isaiah? You believe you're worthless? Christian believer? Blood washed? You feel worthless? Think you're worthless? How can you be when Christ died for you? Friend, how can you feel or be worthless? Believe yourself worthless when the world could not afford you, nor could you give a ransom for your soul, yet Christ gave his life for you. And the excuses is, Lord, woe is me, for I am undone. The word undone here is the word doma, and it means to make an end, to cause to cease, to cut off, to be destroyed, to be brought to silence. Now, we can't blame Isaiah here because here he sees the glory of Christ. And I believe if we seen that glory right now, we would all fall on our faces before the Lord. You know the only way that you and I are going to be able to stand in his presence at the coming of him in power and glory? Because at the coming of Christ, our bodies will be changed. This rotten, guilty, vile, flesh body will be changed. Because we're washed in the blood, we're bought by Christ, but we will be changed by the Lord, and hence we will be able to stand the glory of the Lord. But without it, we would die and be consumed from the presence of the Lord. My brothers and sisters, Isaiah seeing the Lord here, he says, I feel like I'm finished. I feel like I have come to an end. I feel like I couldn't do any more. It couldn't get any better for seeing him. But as for me, don't ask me to do anything, for I am certainly the unworthy one. Brothers and sisters, his sense of undoneness, I am undone, he said. His sense of undoneness is that of truth. He stands in the presence of the pre-incarnate Christ who sits on his eternal heavenly throne in glorious majesty. And so in amazement and in wonder and in astonishment, he says, as for me, I can't. I'm undone. I'm a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. 
If you want to see what the people were like in Isaiah's day, you mark Isaiah chapter 1 and read the chapter. And you'll see God's view of the people. And Isaiah says, I can't go, Lord, for I am undone. First, he sees his own sin. Secondly, he looks at his own heart. Thirdly, he sees all his own failures. And then he points his own finger. I on them. You and I cannot be rectified. You and I cannot have the fullness of blessing and peace in our lives until that which God shows us in our hearts and our lives and we deal with it. And we deal with it. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord. Notice, Uzziah, the king in Judah, dies. And Isaiah sees the Christ. In verse 5, at the end of it, he says, For mine eyes have seen the king. Mine eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. So, there's a problem in most of our lives because there's something we fixate on. There's people that we hold in too high regard. I'm not talking about disrespecting people now. We hold in too high regard. And we almost deify them. We almost have them as pontificate. And when they fall, they fall greater. And our hurt is greater too. Our disappointment. Listen, I'm just a man. I want to let you know that. I have to make decisions. Have to try and lead. Have to try and feed. But don't hold me up there. I'm just a man of flesh and bone and blood, as Glenn read this morning. In the year that King Uzziah died, notice Isaiah had to leave. Isaiah had to go from the, or pardon me, Uzziah had to leave and go from the vision of Isaiah that Christ might be seen in a greater fullness. That Christ might be seen in a greater way. I want to ask you, is there a Uzziah in your life that you need to move? Is there a Uzziah in your life, a person, a thing, whatever it may be, that, that you're fixated on, that, that's holding back the blessing of the Lord and greater revelation of Christ to Him to use you? What is the Uzziah in your life? Uzziah's death brings a greater revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. God must take your carnal security away before he gives you the fullness of his heavenly assurity. Oh, you may be saved. 
But many don't really know it or understand it because they are still playing with carnal issues. Still have carnal issues. Secret sin in their life. Brothers and sisters, this in comparison to himself causes Isaiah to see just how wretched he truly is, how depraved he truly is, and how miserably sinful he truly is, and also how Yahweh, the Almighty God, being so holy, pure, and righteous, views him and Israel. God gives you a sense of self. Listen, I know when we draw near to God, he'll draw nigh to us. And I understand that people say, oh, I've been seeking the Lord and I've received a blessing. I understand that. I have received that too. Please don't get me wrong here. But there are some men, they hear them that the closer they get to God, the, the more holier they feel. I'm going to be honest. The closer I get to God, the more wretched I see myself. The closer I get to God, the more wretched I see myself. But the closer I get to God and the more wretched I see myself, the more grace I see He bestows upon me. Resting in His grace. Trusting in the fullness of His grace. Woe is me, for I am undone. I'm finished. This is a man who worked in the temple, a priest. What they did not know is God was going to bring him from priesthood to prophethood. Sometimes you're going through things and you suffer loss because they needed read out and you wouldn't put it out. I know that's hard, but I'm only telling you from past experience with myself and others, sometimes, sometimes we wouldn't put it out. And hence God brings us, as it were, as a child, a, a son or a daughter into the, the spiritual woodshed and he gives us a good seeing too with the, the spiritual bat to the spiritual two by four. And until it's read out of our lives, you know why we think it's because, Lord, why would you do this? And while we can through this, and the Lord breaks up the hardness of the heart because we don't even try to put it out ourselves. I was talking to Allison during the week about something. You know, she, your, your spouse knows you better than you know yourself at times, don't they? And I would try and hide a lot. You know, if I was spiritually wise, I would try and hide a lot that way. Other ways, if I've got a, a man flu, I'll let her know. You don't know what this is like. Not right, man. I don't know what it's like. That man flu is wild. Spiritually speaking, I, I don't, until I feel I need to talk, I would carry it for some time. And just the other day, I turned to Alice, and I'll be honest, I was nearly emotional because um, I spoke to you last week or the week before and said, God's doing something with me, dealing with me about a lot of things. And, 
And just this week, I felt lower and lower and lower and lower and weaker and weaker and even becoming nearly feeling ill. I turned to Alison and says, I says, you know what, love? And I was just exhausted and says, God's dealing with me. God is dealing with me. And she looked at me and she says, I know he is. I've watched it. I'm in the woodshed. I'm just being honest with you. I'm all right because he has me. But I'm in the woodshed. But God brings us to the woodshed not to make us feel worse, but to put out the impurity from us, to take away that which he wants, to take away from us. Why? Because he has something else that he's training us for. Because he has something else he's molding us for. Because he's got something else that he's bringing us to. And sometimes he has to test and try and chastise in order to put a lining. We all say, ah, but I've been through so much. I'm strong. I have a lining. I say it all the time. And the Lord says, well, you haven't dealt with me yet. Not in this situation. But when God deals with that person, that man, that woman, and a man like me, I can tell you, you're no match for the Lord. (laughs) Brothers and sisters, you're no match for the Lord. Yield to the working of the potter. Yield as pliable clay to the hands of your Lord. For he's making you into something. I have to close. Isaiah's excuse. So what's your excuse then? Isaiah, what's your excuse? What's your excuse, brothers and sisters, of what God is saying, hand over to me, yield. It's better to give to God than God to remove it from you. Isaiah, he says he's undone. And we can see that in all of our lives if we're honest with ourselves and before God. Every one of us. From way over in the far corner there with Lloyd and all you people there and all you at the back and all you on this side and right along and here and all the way over here. Right around to Jenny on this side. Every one of us. Every one of us would say, woe is me for I'm undone. I, I, I can't do it, Lord. I'm, that's too much for me. That's too, it's too hard for me, Lord. I give up. I give up. It's too much. So here's what he says in Isaiah 6 and verse 6. Then threw one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar. And he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this hath touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away and thy sin purged. This tells me, when God does a working in you, when God does a work in you, it's to purge you. It's to clean you. It's to mold you. 
It's to make you. And he might have to bend you. And he might have to break you. But nevertheless, when God is working in you, he's doing it for a purpose. And it's in the strength of the Lord that Isaiah says and answers the call. Notice verse 8. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Now I notice the difference. Now I notice the change. Now I notice Isaiah's mouth. Notice Isaiah's lips have been touched. Notice when the dross of the purging and the removing of that which was a, a blocking for Isaiah. Notice what he says. Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then said I, here am I, send me. Here am I, send me. Ah, before, brother, you would say, here am I, send him. It's all right when someone else is being sent. I want to worship you. I want to praise you. Oh, Lord, here am I. But, Lord, when you're asking me to do something, when you're telling me to go, when you want me to yield or to give over, here am I, Lord, but send him. Send her. Send this one, send that one. But now he says, here am I. In other words, he was ready for the job, ready for the task, ready for the taking. And he says, here am I. Send me. Why? Because he had the power of God in his life. He had the touch from the master's hand. Here's what I've written on the bottom Of that page in my Bible, you ready? God may test your patience before he fulfills his promises. God may test your patience before he fulfills his promises. Don't you give up. Don't you give in. God's delays are not his denials. God may test your patience before he fulfills his promises, God will prove your faithfulness before he approves your promotion. God will, God will prove your faithfulness before he approves your promotion. That's what I've written on the bottom of the page. So what's your excuse then? So what's your excuse then? So what's your excuse now? So what's your excuse again? And then simply today is just, so what's your excuse? May God bless you this morning. May God bless his word to all of our hearts in the Savior's name. Tim, would you come up, please? Bless the Lord.